I had to work every Sunday. So by the time I'd quit that job, it took me five weeks. I'm, I'm saying like after 20 years of growing up this, I mean, yeah. it took me five weeks to be like, actually, I don't want to be in ministry. And wow. I was good. So it was just the free space that I needed. And the only pastor I'd ever met in my life up to that point who told me, if you don't want to work here, we don't want you to work here. How did he take the news when you told him you didn't want to be in it anymore? I think he was like, this makes sense. This makes sense. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> he was like, I don't want to be in it. <laughs> Live in the studio right now. This is what I love about Las Vegas right now. I feel like a lot of people are moving here from LA, from other areas, but they're driven. They're nice, and they definitely want to help other people out. And Travis, you fall in that category. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. And <clears throat> I, it's just uh, you, you can tell. Just you're a good, good person, and you're business savvy, which I love. And I and I see. You know, scrolling through everybody you've interviewed, you some people that run Fortune 500 companies to Shaq. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So, you know, I kind of I kind of want to start like with your story, like your business, like what is the business you're in? Because it seems like you got your hands in a lot of different things. Not sure. like here's the one business I do. You kind of do everything. Yeah, basically anything in like the podcasting and content space. Um, so I've had my show for almost six years now. Um, which was kind of the cornerstone of all of it. <clears throat> and then it just kind of kept evolving. It was just like, I, I was doing my show mainly because I wanted to figure out a way to make money online and I had no idea what I was doing. And I was listening to a bunch of podcasts and I was like, hey, it'd be cool to start a podcast. Seems like a good way to meet people or whatever. So I started my show and it just like kind of kept iterating into other forms of business where people were asking me how I was podcasting, how I was getting good guests and et cetera, et cetera. So we started doing some some coaching. We would teach people how to launch podcasts. We'd started doing some production work, started doing some consulting, started doing some uh, some courses. We turned all my coaching material into a course and like started learning kind of the digital marketing space through trying to sell more uh, of the online course. Um, and then um, we were doing events. We we're doing some masterminds. COVID hit. And we were basically our master, like a lot of people in there took their event business and they turned it virtual during COVID. But my event business was purely like built on doing international retreats and like mm. doing experiential, you know, things that I, in my opinion are what really creates real relationships with people. So we kind of shut that whole thing down and that's when we pivoted into the software world um, in 2020. So we started developing my software company, which is called Guestio. Um, we closed a $1.3 million seed round for that in 2021. And then that led to the birth of our agency in the beginning of 2022, which does the same thing that our software does just, done for you rather than a DIY software solution. So now we have the software company, we have the agency, and then we have our production company. Um, and then I have my podcast. So, you know, a lot of people find what they want to do through so many things they do in their life that just went wrong, or they knew that wasn't the right <laughs> profession for them. Yeah. You know, I knew at a very early age, I'm not good at people telling me what to do. Yeah. And my dad, I, I got that from my dad because my dad, you know, he worked at a couple of jobs because he had a PhD in nuclear physics and he was a dude that just couldn't take orders. Yeah. You yeah. know, from 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 the army to working for somebody. Yeah. And I kind of got that from him. Uh, what kind of led you? Was there a worse job experience where you were like, yo, I got to do my own thing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'll give you kind of 30,000 foot view. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in, in Southern California, um, um, counterintuitively, but in a very religious group, uh, some people would refer to it as a cult. It was a cult. It, it was very culty. It's culty, cultish at least. What, like, what's the it, name it, of the no. cult? 
It's called Independent Fundamental Baptist. Independent um, Fundamental Baptist. Yeah, so I usually describe it as a bubble rather than a cult because like I, I have friends who grew up in like real cults. You know, like we had somebody on the show who has 44 siblings and four moms because he grew up in a polygamist like wow. like compound. You know what I mean? So like when I look at that, I'm like, okay, that's a cult. So his dad was Nick Cannon. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Nick Cannon was his dad? Is that is that what you're saying right there? <laughs> we found him. We found we found, we some found of his him. We found him. Okay. They're all hanging out in one spot. <laughs> just foraging you know, and Nick Cannon will start his own city one day. It'll be Nick Cannonville. You know, it'd be Cannonville. It's just nothing but his children uh, and right. wives in that's one right. city. <laughs> And it will be the ecosystem to this right. whole thing. Okay, right, but right. you're in this cold IFB, yeah, right? Yeah. IFB, IFB movement. Yep, IFB movement. And yeah. what was, I'm interested in this, what was their beliefs or what sure. was, was it having multiple wives? Was it being loyal to one? What was their belief in all no, that? No, yeah, for for marriage, it was like one one person. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, get married very young, have kids very young. Um, it, it's, it's, it's Christianity at its core, but with a, just a major step into fundamentalism. So like when I say I grew up in the church, you know, it wasn't just like what well, we went to church every week. It was like the campus, um, was like 40, 40 acre campus, I believe it was. And the, where we went to church on that campus which was where our church was. We had church three days a week uh, or three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Um, and then the school that I went to was also on the church campus and it was a private enrollment school. So nobody from the outside world could enroll in the school. It was only church members that could send their kids there. Um, so I went to school on the same campus Monday through Friday, and we had chapel multiple times per week, which is basically just school church. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had Sunday morning, Sunday night, and we had Sunday school before Sunday morning church. So we had Sunday school, Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, and then we had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Bible class and chapel. And then we had Wednesday night church. And then we had Saturday morning soul winning, which was like a little mini soul church. Soul winning. Soul winning, which is basically just ordered our sales for the church. Um, and, uh, which you obviously do for free. And, uh, and yeah, so I was at the church like seven days a week and I went there from when I was in kindergarten all the way through my senior year of college. Cause there's a Bible college on the campus as well. So, so you never left. I never left. No, no, not till I was 21, 22. So I went there from like, we started going to church there when I was three, I was in kindergarten at five. I went all the way K through 12 and then enrolled for college all four years. So you had no desire before like the end of college, you wait all the way till 21. So you had no desire to see what was out. I thought I, I dude, I thought, or I just, you thought everything was that I thought everything was that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, yeah, were well, you, did you think that because you were brainwashed or did you yes. think that you did, did you not have television? Yes. Uh, we were, it was very, very scarce for like what we were allowed to watch, you know, um, very sheltered. We had, what was, there was a program called safe eyes on all of our computers. So we couldn't act safe we couldn't eyes. Watch. Yeah. We couldn't watch any video streaming or anything like that on our, on our computers. And this is fairly early on, like this is before YouTube, yeah. you know, when I was growing up. So it's not like it was super uh, readily available as much as it is now, but still it was a lot. And, and, but then there were, there were long stretches where we just wouldn't have cable or satellite. We would have like channels two through 13, you know what I mean? It was mostly just the news on TV. So we just didn't get exposed to a lot of other, you know, a lot of other things. Um, and I just thought I was so right. I was like a hundred percent sure I was right. So nothing else, you know, it didn't bother me. It didn't matter to me. I just looked at like what I'm doing is 100% correct. Everybody else is 100% wrong. And it's my job to go teach them that they're wrong. And so that's why I went to the the, the college on that campus because um, that was that was like the place to go if you were going to go into, you know, full-time ministry. And so it was a purely ministerial college. Um, so I got a double major, Bible and church ministries. And my intention was to go out, you know, be a youth pastor for a while, eventually be a senior pastor somewhere. 
Um, and that was that was what my my whole life trajectory, my whole life's purpose leading up to that. Time because you never experienced anything else. Correct. Yeah, I didn't know it's, there was nothing. There was no other options on the table for sure. It's interesting to me. You know, a lot of times people do really dumb things from different areas of the world and we do stupid things as well. And you're like, how could they do that? And then when you actually dig into it, you go, oh, well, that's all they know. Right. You know, they're from, they, that's, that's normal for them to do. Absolutely. And it surprises me because I'm a type of person where my parents let me experience everything. And, Mm. you know, is my parents were the opposite of yours Yeah. where it was more of, Oh, we want you to fall, scrape your knee, so you know not to do it again, rather than protect you from falling and scraping your knee yeah. or telling you that, you know, find your own thoughts. We don't want to give you our thoughts. So it's it's interesting that way. But yeah. that that yeah. in today's society, is it as strong that that IFB today? As, because now the internet and just just information is so easy to grab that's outside of what they're preaching. I, I think in the next couple of decades, there'll be a strong diminishing of that entire movement <clears throat> for that specific reason. Um, but leading up to, I mean, it was already pretty small, you know, even in it's like heyday, it wasn't that big. Like it's how, a big, fundamentalist how big is big or small? Uh, I mean, so, so like the biggest church I think ever in this, in that world had like 15, 20,000 members at it at one okay, point. Okay. Um, but there was so much corruption. In fact, my producer who you met, um, Eric, he has an entire show on uncovering abuse in the IFB church movement. Is he from it as well? Yeah. Yeah. He's from oh, the same movement, different church. Oh. So we knew each other, distant connections through that movement. Now, yeah. when you're growing up in that, I guess the only people you date is, has oh, to yeah. go to the church too. So, totally. Well, they so thought everybody had your beliefs. When I was everything. 11 years old, this pastor gets up and preaches in chapel and he's talking about, you know, having pure thoughts and staying virgin until you're married and all this other stuff. And he said a line that I don't ever, that I'll ever forget. He said, every date is a possible mate. I was 11. I was like, I don't even know what a date is, yeah. but I'm on board. You right, know what I mean? Right, so I'm like there. every person I talked to from that point forward was like, am I going to marry this person? Then I will not talk to this person. You know what I mean? So it was, uh, yeah, it, it was not, it was not even a question of like who you're going to date. It was just like that. My entire world was there. My sports were there. My, my, like if people, t- people typically so will have when a school you say, life and a church life. Yeah. Mine was all one. So when you, you know? say you had sports teams, yeah, but y'all didn't play anybody outside. So we, yeah, we had our own conference. It was called, um, oh, what was it called? Uh, Pacific Baptist Athletic League. So you would called. play other IFB schools? play other IFB schools in the Southern mid, Southern and Central California region. Did yeah. anyone from IFB go pro? Uh, not to my knowledge, <laughs> I would I would be so surprised, you know, <laughs> like, especially if it was any sort of mainstream athletics. You yeah. Know? Um, no, no, I I I would not guess anybody ever did that. Um, but there was a fairly strong emphasis on it, yeah. just because like, what else are you gonna do? Yeah. You know what I mean? As a like, we didn't. There was no mischief to get into. Like, obviously, we could have, but I was so bought into the core mission of whatever. Like, some some people were not, but I was one of the kids that was like so bought into it that I was gonna follow everything anyway. So I just filled my time with doing a bunch of random shit, and I played a ton of basketball because, again, what else, like what else are you gonna do? You know, you can't go get in trouble, you can't go hang out with girls, you can't, you know, drink, you can't, you know, do anything that a typical teenager would probably be getting themselves into. So. so- I did play so sports. look, look, when you get a certain age, you have hormones, obviously. Yes. So was there a lot of sneaking around? Yes. And, yes, there was, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. I was, but I was, followed by an inordinate amount of guilt, right? Mm-hmm. It was like, 
Um, so my wife. A lot wife, of praying after. Oh, dude. A lot of praying. So much praying. Yeah. Like praying to the point, to the degree, because like the Bible says stuff about like, you know, plucking your own eye out if it's going to offend you and, you know, stuff like that. And where I would be like praying for these things to happen to me because I felt like I couldn't control what was going on inside of my body. And uh, obviously not a healthy yeah. system to like come into adulthood with. Um, but it, it actually, my, my wife now, who we've been married for almost 10 years, we've been dating for 14 years. We started dating when I was 16 in that, in that world. So, so you met her in that world. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so do y'all still believe in that world no. or no? no. So neither one of us. Neither, now who transitioned out of it first? Was it I you did. or her? Yeah, I did. Okay. I, so similar to you and your dad, I have a real problem with authority. Yeah. Only when I disagree or I have questions that can't be answered. So, cause my wife and I were talking about this the other day and, and she was, you know, saying like how I can't, about how much I can't listen to people or whatever. And I was like, I agree, but also like if it's somebody that I respect or have some sort of admiration for or want to emulate in some way, I actually listen a lot to those people. But when it's somebody that's just placed in my life as an authority and I'm expected just to do everything they tell me to do because of the position that they hold and they don't have to earn any relationship capital with me in order to spend with me, I'm just like, nah, fuck that. No, nah, I'm the exact same way. Yeah. Because some people, you know, I, I run into this a lot because I deal with a lot of comics. I work with a lot of comics and there's a lot of big different personalities. Mm -hmm. And some mm -hmm. are aggressive where they want to own the room and yeah. some are laid back and some are this. But I, I don't believe in... I've never been the person where it's like just because you say something, I gotta, yeah, I gotta believe it or do it. Totally. And like you said, like there's no investment in them, and they right. have no investment in yeah. you. You don't have you know? any position to be able to tell me that kind of thing. You know, but right? also at the same time, I could respect you, love you, and totally. thank you. But I don't believe what you're saying. <laughs> a point that you're saying is right. Like I, exactly. I'm reading a book right now. I don't know if you read it. It's called um, uh, Snowball. Okay, it's Warren Buffett's book. Okay. And his biggest his biggest turn in his life when he started disagreeing with the two people he looked up to the most in stocks mm. and who actually helped him, groomed him. Wow. But he didn't believe what they were saying was correct. And he goes, does this mean I'm smarter than them? Or does this just mean I see it a different way yeah. than them? Mm. You know, and it was interesting where that was his biggest turn. Yeah. Two of his idols, like I, this to me in basketball, were like Michael Jordan tells me something. I'm like, nah. <laughs> nah, you don't know what you're talking. And like, this is their world stocks. And yeah, he's like, right, nah, right. you missed it on this. You need to go this way. Right. And that's what launched him. Mm. And that's what made him so big by not listening to people he looked up to. Sure. Because he had his own mind and his own thoughts. And sometimes you got to trust. And sometimes and you got to trust. Yeah. Yeah. So you test, see what's see what's good. You know. Do you believe? Because this is flying around a lot, of course, with memes and you know, just so many podcasts going on. Do you believe that the whole thing of you shouldn't listen to people that haven't accomplished what you accomplished, only the people above you? Do so you believe in that? What I tell people is uh, overarching advice is never take advice or, and I'll caveat this, but never take advice from someone you wouldn't be willing to trade places with. Mm hmm and what I what I typically mean by that is in a certain area because I'll get a lot of you know it's a it's a really short phrase so people obviously take it out of context completely yes. and then start throwing accusations at me. Um, but I, what I what I mean is if you want to be successful in comedy, if you want to be successful in podcasting, in business, then stop listening to all the people who've never done it and aren't successful in that area because they're likely not going to give you the best advice. You know what I mean? And, and, and the, the hard thing to wrap your mind around sometimes 
is that a lot of those people are actually the people that love you the most yes. and are the closest to you. But some like the degree to which somebody loves you is not representative of their knowledge in a domain. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's just like my mom loves me, but she's never podcasted before. Yeah, so if you wouldn't take here, advice from your mom. Yeah, like, she's hey, gonna mom. be like, "Hey, don't be a podcaster," because I hear you can't make money with it. It's like, okay, well, I'm gonna go talk to a dozen podcasters who make a living doing podcasting full time first before I let that advice take over my entire way of decision making. And also, I believe so many people that haven't got to that next level in something want to automatically tell you how bad it is to kind of frustrate you. And I, this is a totally sure. different example I'm about to give you than podcasting. But when my wife was pregnant and we announced it, so many people jumped to the negative and told us about the worst story they had about being <laughs> pregnant. I'm like, who are you on my timeline? Yeah. Oh, it's the worst. I threw up for this amount of time. Yeah. Like people automatically had to tell us their worst story yeah. about their pregnancy. Right. It was, uh, there was a lot of like, oh, congratulations. Sure. sure. But there are some people that just want to shit on your parade. They're just wired want, that way. They're wired yeah. that way. They have to tell you the negative about, or if they experience something horrible, you need to know they experience something horrible. Absolutely, because misery loves company, man. Oh, it's horrible. There's so many people like that, especially as it relates to going after any sort of unconventional field or path. Yes. That's why I love doing my show and talking to people who've done something that's unique, whatever it is, business, comedy, anything, because I'm just like, why, how, how, why did you go this way? Because there's there had to have been people in your life being like, hey, maybe uh, you should do this. Maybe you should go get a degree instead of go do this other thing. Maybe you should, maybe you should give up on that for a little bit because it hasn't worked out for you for the last six years. It's probably not going to work out for you the next six years. But in reality, it was just, you had to put in six years of work before you were going to reap the reward. There's, there's, you know, something to that. You talk to a lot of successful people and I I can tell you one thing that I respect and it frustrates you at the same time. Everybody says they kind of stumbled into it. Mm. You know, you always hear like, you never hear like, that was my goal. That's what I accomplished. It's always like, I was trying to go after this, and I was like, oh, I found this. Totally. You know, and when you think, because we're very logical. It's like, okay, I want to make a goal, and I want to get it. Mm -hmm. Like, everything I've achieved in my career so far, I never wanted to do. Mm. Like, I never wanted to be on TV. I was on TV. I never wanted to do stand-up. I had no passion for it as a kid, but now I love it. I do stand-up. You know, podcasting, I have friends with the biggest podcast in the world. Never wanted to do it, but then I was like, I love talk. This is what I do. I love talking to people. Yeah. And I did it on TV, so let me keep doing it. So now I got a podcast, but it seems like people that are hugely successful, mm-hmm. it was never the thing they went out to be successful in. Yeah. It always spun off into something that's like, oh, nobody's doing this. Let me do that. Yeah, that's why a lot of the common ground is just action. Yeah. You know, because you can you can sit there and think your entire life about what you want the future to look like. But if you never take a step toward it, you'll never actually find what it's going to end up looking like. Mm -hmm. Because you don't, it's uh, even Steve Jobs said, like the only way that you can join the dots is by looking backwards. You can't do it looking forward. Like you can't, you can't, you can't plan out everything that you want. You can have like, to me, it's, to me, it's more important to have an idea of the person that you want to be and the type of lifestyle you want to live. And if you have those two things, then just start moving that way. You know what I mean? Because like you're going to, more steps are going to appear. People won't take the first step because all they can see is the next step. And they want to see a hundred steps down the road before they take that step. 
but the third step isn't going to appear until yeah. you take the second step. And the fourth step isn't going to appear until you take the third step. You just got to do something, you know? I tell everybody, make realistic goals. Because when people <clears throat> moved to Hollywood when I lived there, it was like, I want to be a star. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, how about find an acting coach first? That's the step. So have realistic steps so it always feels like you're moving forward. Yeah, it builds confidence. You, yeah, it builds confidence too. Because if you just feel like, there's only one end game. Yeah. You're never, when you don't get that end game, you feel depressed. Totally. You feel lonely. Like I'm like not accomplishing failure. it. Yeah. I have a, I have a, I have a, a, on my calendar alert, a setting every year it pops up at the same time. And it, and it makes me remember what I've accomplished that year. Hmm. And I do it once a year. It pops up the same day every year. So I never, so I always look back mm -hmm. and go, oh, this is what I've accomplished. So it makes me never think I'm not moving forward. Yeah. You know, and I think that's important. Uh, how do you, um, how do you, uh, I like this question a lot. I think about this a lot because <clears throat> to me, it's, it's always kind of a yin and yang because mm -hmm. it's, I, I always want to be pushing forward and reaching for more and pushing myself to become a better version of me. But I also don't want to get so much living in the future that I never enjoy the present and, and, and I'm not grateful for where I've come along the way. Yep. How, how do you, how do you, how do you look at that? Well, that, that time once a year, I yeah. sit there and I just enjoy all the moments. And I really feel this. I really feel this. If you really love what you do, mm. you're actually, you actually take time to enjoy the moments you're having. I don't know. I, I, I know a lot of people that are hugely successful, but hate what they're doing. Yeah. And they never see it as an accomplishment. I was in a job where I hated it. But the money was so great. But literally, I would come home every day and tell my wife, I am so miserable at this job. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that I wouldn't look back and go, I have accomplished anything. I would look back the two years I did that job and go, I was literally spinning my wheels in one. I made more money than I ever made in my life, but I was spinning my wheels in one place. Yeah. And I would never want to go back to that. Sure. I would rather take <laughs> half the money and feel like I'm moving forward than just spinning my wheels, making a lot of money. Yeah. You know, so I really feel people that it really enjoy what they're doing. You kind of everything you like this equipment in my studio. Mm -hmm. Like to me, I look at this and go, man, that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. I have a studio in my house. As a kid, I would have never thought I would have any type of studio sure. in my house. This house, my wife, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I way out punning my covers. My wife, <laughs> like my friends tell me, like, how'd you get her? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Our kids are beautiful. I'm very lucky in everything yeah. I'm going to have. But I've also been the guy that always say yes. Hmm. I hardly ever say no. It may take me a while to get to the yes, but I'm always a yes. You know, unless, but I also know time is very valuable. Yeah. You know, especially when you have kids and it sounds bad but it needs to be beneficial to you in some way you know because people mistake that where it's like oh you don't want to do this you're a dick yeah. it's like no because in a in a mean way but not mean it's not worth my time absolutely because i don't have a lot of time well, you have to protect your energy and your time yeah like it to me that's your primary responsibility in every relationship that you hold is you have to take care of the relationship with you first because if you don't have a tight relationship with you, it becomes really difficult to give to anybody else, including the people closest to you and the most important to you. So that's why like every time you say no to something or every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Yeah. So you have to make sure that the no that you're saying is not one that you're going to regret saying no to. Like if it's time with my family, right? It's like, oh, I, yes, I do want to do whatever that speaking gig or that, that podcast, or I do want to go to that place or whatever. But that does mean I'm going to be a weekend away from my kids. It's like, ah, oh, my son's turning four soon. 
Uh, do I really want to be a weekend away from them? Is this that big of a deal? Yeah. You know what? Uh, I think I'm cool on this one. No, thank you. Well, and it's not because I'm being a dick. It's because my kids need me and, and they need time with me. And you're and never going to get that them. time back. Exactly. You're never so, going to get it back. Yeah. So you're in this uh, IFB. Yeah. 21, 22. What broke you out of it? Um, really it was, it was that I started experiencing things that were counterintuitive to beliefs that I held very strongly. How'd you experience those things living in that? I left. Oh, you left. Okay. Yeah. So okay. when I grad, so I, uh, finished college in three and a half years. Uh, so I, I finished school in December, got married in January, walked and got my diploma in May and then moved away from Lancaster, which is where I was, um, Southern California moved from Lancaster with my wife to uh, Fresno, which is central California. Um, to, it's a lot of diversity in Fresno, right? Or no? Uh, yeah. 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 And, I mean, in, in Lancaster as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, Lancaster is, Lancaster is, uh, um, somewhere I didn't want to spend a bunch of time for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, I got just you. Just like, yeah. So I, I, we, we pieced out with the Fresno. I'll tell you how bad Lancaster is. When I got to Fresno, I was having conversations with people and they were like, uh, I would, I'd be like, oh yeah, we just moved here. And they would, they, they would go, why? Why? Yeah. Why? I was like, Ooh, that's not a good sign. Why'd you, <laughs> you know? move to Fresno? Why'd you pick Fresno? So literally what it came down to is when you're leaving that college, they're like number one bragging point in the way that they use th the thing that they use to go raise funds for the college is how many students they've placed in ministry in full-time ministry. Cause that's the, the only reason the college exists. There's no secular degrees uh -huh. um, at the college. They're all ministerial. So when you're leaving, they are very adamant about like, hey, have you, have you been placed yet? Have you been in ministry? Did you interview with this, meet this, this pastor? And then I grew up at the church. And so I was like a Lancaster kid is what they called us, Lancaster brats. Because um, there was like a thousand students on the college and probably 50 of us like grew up on the campus. Got you. Okay. You know what I mean? So, um, so when it was a Lancaster kid, they took our placement even more seriously. And me, especially because I'd been there. From the time that I was three. And I, was I would imagine since you're well spoken, you're a smart guy, you were kind of like a prize. Like, hey, this is our guy. That was the yeah, the were terminology was yeah, the terminology was uh, the you have the one? potential. Oh, you know, you have, you potential. have potential for the for, for God. You know what I mean? Okay. So don't waste your your you know, your talent and your potential. Um and so yeah, the they they took a very careful role in placing all students, but especially Lancaster kids and you know, especially anybody that showed any promise of Potential. being somebody that would people would follow potentially yeah. one day. And uh, so the, the pastor there uh, was very adamant about that. And I had interviewed with this pastor, um, his name is Josh, uh, in, in Central California in Fresno. And he coincidentally was my junior high youth pastor who had taken a senior pastor role in Fresno. So we had some rapport already. And basically he was the first person ever to tell me that he wanted me to move there and be a part of the church in whatever capacity I wanted to. So I could come up there, do part-time and work in sales full-time, which is what I was doing in college, or I could do full-time, or I could just be a layman in the church. They were just like, we just want you to be, come be a part of our church culture. Now, when you talk about sales, sales for the church or no, sales? I was doing door-to-door -door sales in gotcha. college to, to make extra What were you money. selling? Solar. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah. So I started doing door-to-door -door in college and it, it just started going really well. I got promoted my first week. I promoted my fourth week. I promoted my third month. By the time I was like seven months in, I was managing a team of 20 sales reps um, as a 19 year old, um, that, and most of them were like friends of mine in the college. And I, I don't know, I was making like close to 80 grand a year or something. Wow, that's and, great. Yeah. I was just like, Oh, this is sweet. And I started realizing I was interviewing for these ministry positions and they were telling me about my starting salary. No joke. One of them was $16,000 a year. And they, and the guy was like, but don't worry. 
we'll also hire your wife as our full-time secretary and she'll make 8,000 a year. So combined, it'll be 24,000, which is more than enough to make it like in our small town. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, this sounds great. Keep pitching. You know what right? I mean? <laughs> um, yeah, it was one of those, like I felt sick to my stomach and yeah. like, anxiety building up and being like, oh, get me out of this interview. Somebody, please. This is insane. What that city this is was that? Can you say? Office. I don't even remember. It was somewhere in the Midwest. Yeah. Know, somewhere okay. in a small town, a church of like 75 people that had been oh. that way for 30 years. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, this place is going absolutely nowhere. nowhere. Basically, you want to hire me as your associate pastor, pay me dog shit and expect me to do all of your work so that you can just get up and preach on Sundays. Yeah. Like, I'm all right, bud. You yeah. Know, we'll pass on this one. Right. Um, so this one in Fresno was attractive because I was like, oh, I can take the part-time job. I can tell everybody that I'm placed in ministry and I can keep doing the sales job that I actually really enjoyed doing. Solar. Yeah. So um, it was really just, I, I enjoyed, I didn't, I wouldn't have been able to articulate this at the time, but I enjoyed competitively developing my skill and, and, and seeing a real result at the end of the day, which was my paycheck, seeing mm. that like I was making more than everybody else because I was putting in that much more work or working that much more to sharpen my skill of being a, a salesperson. So I wanted to keep doing that. And the only way that I could do it was so just to tell people. So when people would ask me, oh, you play some ministry? I'd say, yes, sir. You know, I'm going up to Fresno to serve with, you know, Pastor Josh. You yeah. know? Um, and then what ended up happening was this is the only time in my life, by the way, I ever had like a nine to five was right when we moved to Fresno. I couldn't qualify for a home loan because I didn't have 100% commission long enough. Um, the banks wouldn't take my income. So I had to take an internal transfer in the company I was working for and get a salary. And um, two days after we closed escrow, I quit. I was like, because exactly what we were talking about earlier, I was like, I cannot stand yeah. that I have to do these stupid rules and listen to these stupid people that this I know more than. This is the solar than. company. Yes, correct. Okay. So I say that because when we went down there, it was my intention to work part-time at the church, but it was during that five weeks, the first five weeks we moved there, I had to work every Sunday. So I couldn't end up working at the church. So by the time I'd quit that job, it took me five weeks. I'm, I'm saying like after 20 years of growing up this, anyway, yeah. it took me five weeks to be like, actually, I don't want to be in ministry. And wow. Yeah, I was like, but what you experienced in those five weeks that kind of like, I don't want to do this anymore. It it wasn't just the experience of that. It was just the wrecking. It it was it was being able to be by myself and make decisions for myself without Mm. having the pressure of all of these other people that I respected and admired um, telling me that I was doing the wrong thing. So it was just the free space that I needed. And the only pastor I'd ever met in my life up to that point who told me, if you don't want to work here, we don't want you to work here. It was it was a it was a foreign so, thing to me. I was Pastor just totally not Josh. Yeah. So, how did he take the news when you told him you didn't want to be in it anymore? I think he was like, "This makes sense. This makes sense." <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> he was like, "I don't want to be in it." <laughs> yeah, right. Actually, funny story. He's not. See, it's, it, that's that's the type of guy you want. It's like, all right, good good move. You know what? I'm yeah. gonna follow you. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> Which is ironic, but yeah, that is exactly what happened actually. Um, but yeah, it, it took, it, it, as soon as I was able to be by myself with my thoughts and make my own decisions for me, I was like, nah, and, and did I'm your done. wife automatically follow or no, 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 that was the beginning of a few years of strain on our relationship for gotcha. sure, where we just, it was almost like a don't ask, don't tell thing. You know what I mean? Mm. We just didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about religion. We talked about church. I still went just to keep the peace. And and frankly, I, I was just trying to see what I believed, yeah. you know, cause at first, it was like, I reject fundamentalism, but I'm full into Christianity. And then after a while, it was just like, I don't really understand this either, because I went too deep on this side, and I read so much and did so much research coming out of all of that, that now I'm just like... I just, so are you an atheist now? 
I wouldn't say atheist. No, I, I, I believe that there's still like this kind of greater power or energy, Mm -hmm. um, that connects everybody and everything. Um, what I've told people all the time is typically, um, first of all, believe whatever you want. I have absolutely no problem with that. And I don't disparage anybody for their beliefs at all Mm -mm. as a caveat to what I'm about to say. What I typically tell people is I believe that basically all religion is like 20% right and 80% wrong. Meaning that we get the the things correct in terms of value systems, love mm-hmm. other people, be kind, cool, on board with those things, mm-hmm. right? Like have these types of value systems, these, these hierarchies and like treat people the way you want to be treated, you know, lead with love and, and like these types of messages are like, cool. I think every religion, if you look at their core, they all kind of agree on those things. Yes. It's the 80% where things start getting a little bit screwy. Yeah. And that's to me what's caused chaos, war, destruction, death over the course of human history to the tunes of millions and millions and millions of people have been like the 80% of religious dogma that has no root in reality or um, anything intrinsically provable, but people believe it like it is because the system's designed to make you believe it like it is. Well, also, I I feel like, at least in America with the Bible, I feel like people pick and choose what they want to believe out of the Bible, and then they run with that. Absolutely. And then they- 30 religions from one book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a mind-blowing thing. To yeah, <laughs> like, it's it's bro, like you guys are all reading the same book. Yeah, but getting and none of you can agree on this. No, it's it's so. But you see all of, like like for instance the pigskin thing in the Bible, right? Yeah. Like so, the people that are saying gays shouldn't be together are the same people that are watching football and that mm-hmm. eat pork and you know. So it's all these little things yeah. in the Bible that Dude, slavery. Yeah, it's yeah. just. I, I have I, that, that's one that I, I can't I can't reconcile and and, and I, I would love to hear somebody's rebuttal of this to, to be honest because like when I was in it my rebuttal was always like well that was what was culturally appropriate at the time because mm-hmm. there's a verse in the Bible that says slaves obey your masters it's mm-hmm. a verse in the Bible yeah and people you know like I said at, at the time I'd be like well it's, it was culturally acceptable you know you have to look at like the context through which this is written and it's like but wait a second if God wrote this book and God is omniscient. You think that God might have had an inkling that slavery was wrong, no matter the cultural <laughs> yeah. context? Like maybe he knew that in a couple thousand years from now, they're going to figure out the slavery thing is probably not the right way to treat other people. Let's go ahead and remove that one from Thessalonians, Paul. You know what I mean? Like, I just, let's I just not write feel, that one down. Well, because people use God as their excuse to get out of things. Every politician that gets in trouble, they were like, well, I talked to God. And God said, <laughs> and that's the time where if I was God, I'd be like, yo, don't talk to me. Yeah. No, I do not want any part of this. Couple me in with this yeah, decision don't, don't that bring you made. Me yeah. You know, but that's what, that's people use God as a, like you said, as a, sometimes it's a weapon. Sometimes yeah. it's a, oh, I'm, I'm forgiven. I asked him for forgiveness. So all <laughs> you should forgive me. It's the ultimate trump card. It is. You can play it at any time during the game that you want to play it. And nobody can ever question it because it's God. Yeah. What a, what a, what a crazy ability it's, it's, to play. That's why there's so much corruption in the church. There's so much abuse that happens is people just, and it obviously is way less now than it was, whatever, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, five thousand years ago, but it's all the same. Let me tell you something that's weird to me is all these preachers getting in trouble with these little kids, right? Mm-hmm. And it keeps reminding me of any parent that let, let their kids stay with Michael Jackson. You, you remember back in the day, Michael Jackson had all these kids at his house that would spend the night. I could never, never let my kids spend the night at anybody's house. At any grown-ass human's house. By him, like, <laughs> like, they're dropping off. Like, what parent drops off their kids to Michael ja- a grown man's house? 
And I think about, uh, oh, but man. but that's the power he had. Totally. Yes. The, the power, parents power were enamored. They were like, oh my God, Michael Jackson likes my kid. Yep. Like, that just sounds And you don't think that it's possible that the most nefarious thing is happening. You just never, you never would go to that conclusion. And it's no. the same thing in the church. The difference is, again, they have the power of God. When they play the trump card of God, that's what... Uh, my buddy Eric show preacher boys talks about all this stuff so much. And I, I told him when he started the show, cause obviously like, you know, he's been working with me for a long time. I was helping him with his podcast strategy and everything. I was just like, it's like, this is great, bro. But I, I don't know how long you'll be able to keep the show going. Yeah. It's been like four years and he's not running out of stories to tell about like abuse with clergy in the IFB movement by itself, not even moving into so now, Catholics or anything else. You so know? now, now you're at a position and I'll, attack is the wrong word, but are you now, well, Eric kind of going after the IFB? So Eric and does, how did they, cause you're attached to Eric. Yeah. So do they, is it like, I guess my question, is it like Scientology where you hear the stories of Scientology kind of showing up places going so, so that's why I say that's one of the reasons I don't think that I, I, I don't bring myself to call it a cult because it's okay. not like when you leave, they're going to hunt you down okay. and kill you um, or cause wow, harm that's to aggressive. you. Yeah. yeah but, like they're okay. not going to do that, which I guess I'm thankful for. Yeah. right. Um, <laughs> but, you wouldn't be here if yeah. they were. Let me tell you something. Yeah. I, I would not have you on this podcast yeah. if they were following you. I don't want IFB yeah. as outside my house. No, 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 no. So it's not like that. It's just that they're not. When I tell people when I left, there was three groups of people. There was the people that were actively rooting against me. Um, and then there was the group of people that are actually my friends and wanted to see me do well, but had no idea how to help me do any of the things I was doing because they were just as, you know, green to all of it as yeah. I was. And then the, probably the majority of people were just indifferent. It was like, you're no longer doing what we want you to do, so good luck, but we're not helping. Gotcha. You know, even if we could help, we're not going to type yeah. of thing. So um, uh, there was largely just those, those three groups. But there definitely is a full group that's actively rooting against you, and especially when it's somebody like me because I'm, I'm, I'm less – and, you know, knock on wood, I guess this could happen at any point, but I'm, I'm less sermon illustratable, meaning that like my story doesn't play quite as well from the pulpit. Cause like when mm -hmm. we were growing up, we would hear stories of people who left that would be addicted to drugs and, you know, working at Burger they, King. They on couldn't, and off. they couldn't they, wait to run those stories at totally, church. Yeah, yeah. Cause they, 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 they proved their, their hypothesis yeah. of if you leave this, you cannot have success or happiness, you know? And so I think I think it's almost worse for them that I'm in the position that I'm in now, um, because I'm a somewhat normal human being that yeah. found like some sort of moral grounding to hold my feet on, and you know I have a family and I have a business and I'm you know I'm I'm not I'm not giving blowjobs for coke on the side <laughs> of the freeway, you know what I mean? Like so I I, I think uh, I think there there's some people that are actively rooting against me, but I think there are some people that genuinely loved me uh, had. Like they want what's best for me and they just genuinely see me as somebody who's wasting my life and my potential because they believe everything so ardently. And so those are the people that I have the most like, you know, empathy or sympathy for. And I still talk to and, you know, it's like, I know that you're telling me this from a position of love and I love you and I appreciate you for that. I just don't agree with your reasoning, you know, and I, I, don't, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, man, it's, it's, I didn't know about the whole, uh, the IFB thing, because that fascinates me how somebody could get caught in the world and not know an outside world. Yeah. And Especially it's right. Like literally you just yeah, drive yeah. off campus. I mean, right. that's it. You just take a drive, go to your local Starbucks, upload uh, the yeah. web or internet, <laughs> and then boom, you can see everything. That's certainly what, it's certainly what makes it more weird is that it was in Southern California. 
Like yeah. we were an hour from LA. <laughs> you know what I mean? So what? Um, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty wild place for that to 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 happen. Like you 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 see like a Netflix documentary and you're thinking like, oh, this only happens in like the <laughs> fields of Iowa or whatever, yeah. you know, where there's nobody around and like no social awareness. You're like, no, LA is an hour away. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that would be a great there movie. There was almost like eight thousand members of that church when, when wow. we left. Has it grown or gotten smaller? It's gotten smaller since we left, yeah. I just think there's too much information. Too much information. I agree. And I I think that's great and bad at the same time because the problem with too much information is anything you say, you can find somebody to back you up, no matter if it's credible or not. And then you run with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, when you got Fox News saying in court that they were a entertainment, like they don't expect people to believe what they say. They said this in court. I'm not making this up. They said this in court. And then I feel like the news now is just opinions. It's just people's opinions. It's oh, not it news. It's just what I think about the news. Mm-hmm. And it's whatever gets the most views and clicks. It, that's all it is. And it's a very dangerous world. But at the same time, look how, look how much help it's helped people. You know, yep. like how much money it's raised for certain causes, how it's started certain rallies where people could gather. So it's good and bad. It's just, you know, it, it's just a scary time. Now AI, throw AI in it. It's, it's bananas. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the scary part. Yeah, but AI now it's even scarier because yeah. I don't have you been are you up on this AI? I, I've played around with it a, a decent amount. The Chat amount. GPT? Chat GPT um and then just talking with some friends who are a little bit deeper down the rabbit hole than I am. I uh yeah, I I mainly stay out of the conversations cuz I feel like I'm not smart enough to be in them. Yeah. Uh, because like you you you'll hear you, you see Elon Musk literally trying to block new development on AI. And you see Mark Andreessen, you know, co-founder of Andreessen Horowitz, one of the most, you know, well-known, prestigious venture capital firms to exist. And he's, Mark Andreessen's going on and being like, oh, yeah, we don't have anything to worry about. And then Elon Musk is being like, yeah, we do have a lot to worry about. And it's like, oh, there's a lot of smart people that have conflicting opinions and advice, and I have no idea who to listen to. It seems like Elon Musk is right, because if you go further down enough, like in the rabbit hole, it just makes sense that at some point we're building something that we have no control over. 100%. And regardless of where that leads, it's kind of scary. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, my friend the other day on chat GPT said, draw a picture of Michael Yo on a swing. And it and it came up with a picture of me on a swing. Like I was, I didn't even know it could do stuff like wild, that. Yep. But I was like, man, no. <laughs> no, I'm good. Yeah, no, like the only you. thing I could use chat GPT in my life for is if I, I could start a great Yelp. I could be a great Yelper. I yeah. would just tell it to write reviews, copy and paste and post. <laughs> like I could kill it. I that's could the kill extent it in, of my usage it. of AI. Yeah. You know, like I, I know it's going to be big. Yeah. You know, but it's just, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens to belief systems and religion and things. The more things that we find out through the power of rapid knowledge increase over yeah. short periods of time. Cause I think, I, I just I, I have a strong feeling that it's going to start. Historically, we've always we've always marked up things that we don't understand to a higher power. Yes. And then as science and technology and discovery progresses and it society, kills gods, it it starts taking away. It's like, oh, well, maybe I think there Ricky Gervais god. said every god is gone has been proven uh, not real except God. Yeah. Well, he said uh, he something said, like that. Yeah. Today. He said there's he said there's. Uh, there's 2,000 gods that we know of in the world. I just believe in one less than you do. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> that one will hit. You know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. How do you yeah. explain that? Uh, so, like, we're going to wrap this up. But, like, 
what what's next? Like, what do you want to accomplish? What's the end goal? Because the older I get, because we all want to be stupid rich, you know, live out that dream. But it's weird. Like the older I get, it's kind of like, oh, as long as I got enough for my family. I I don't know. I like I still want to sell out stadiums and do that whole thing. Sure. But I when I was younger, it was a A bigger, bigger, bigger deal. Now it's like I just want enough money where my kids can go to college and I want to be successful in what I do. Whatever money comes with that, I just want to be very successful and respected in that craft. Well, I think that's I think that's why you're making better money than most people who choose mm-hmm. your profession, you know, because yeah. you found the game. Yeah. The game is not a function of how much money can I make? It's a function of how can I live my life the best way I know how to live my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for me, it's always come down to freedom and kind of relating to what we've been talking to about this whole yeah. time is like, I don't like authority. Typically, I don't like listening to other people. I don't like the idea of like having to submit for time off and things like that. So I've always worked for myself. Um, So for me, it's always been an equation of freedom. And money is a huge indication of how much freedom you have. Yeah. Um, Like money buys me freedom and it buys me time. You know, so to me, it's just a recognition of what's most important in life. And to me, like it's time and it's freedom. And money is a vehicle through which I can purchase more time by hiring people to replace me in my business or whatever. And I can purchase more freedom uh, by allowing me and my family to travel to places that we never thought we could or, you know, um, name it. Just but also, I, I, I feel a lot of people that get a lot of money, they actually keep buying businesses and stuff and then they keep taking their freedom away. That's true. You know what I mean? I, like, I think. Well, I think that's a matter of their value hierarchy. Yes. Because maybe right. they're that maybe they value hard work over freedom, or they value mm-hmm. building massive businesses, or the high they get from making a good acquisition. They value that over having a lot of freedom. Um, that's true because so many times you hear like, "Oh, his family life is horrible, but he's a billionaire." Yeah, right. You know, right. like his kids never see him. Right. No, and, and and I tell people, I remember interviewing James Corden and Stephen Colbert. Hmm. I think it was Stephen Colbert. And or it was somebody it was one of these late night talk shows. Yeah. And he goes, Man, oh no, it was John Stewart. It was John Stewart. Oh, and he right. goes, I never seen I haven't seen my kids in twenty years since they've been doing that show. Wow. Because he's there from morning to night. Wow. And he goes, Yeah, he, he made twenty five million dollars a year, successful. Everybody knows who he is. But it's weird, like that's a sacrifice. It's almost always, and this is sad, but I'm trying to have that balance where I never want to sacrifice family mm-hmm. for fame or fortune. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you have to kind of do that. I agree. But especially if you're the sole provider, you know, but I, you I, I try to balance it. But I catch myself like they'll say, here's five clubs that want you five weeks in a row. Yeah. Dude, you can't pass this up. Mm-hmm. And it's like I talk to my wife and I tell her. So that means like in the next five weeks, I'm gonna be gone like X number of days, you know? Yeah. Well, dude, I just think it's really important for your kids to see that version of you too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it to me, it's almost equally as important as me spending time with them is me making time and priorities on other things because eventually they're gonna have to be an adult. Yeah. And they're going to have to provide for their family. Mm-hmm. And if all they see is dad just doing whatever he wants all the time, but they, cause they weren't old enough to see the yeah. grinding years that it took to get to that point. They might just have this unrealistic view of what success is. Or like, I just, I feel like it's very, I think it's very good as long as you're verbally and with time reinforcing the fact that, Hey, I love you. This doesn't make you know you less important to me. 
It also just means that like I value hard work and I value, you know, uh, making something of yourself in life. And this is what I have to do in order to do that. And and those are the stories when you hear these pro players make it, they go, Oh, my parents worked their butts off to give me, you know? So yeah. it's kind of like, you just got to address that with the kids. It's like, this is why I'm leaving. Yeah. Every time, every, uh, yeah. every time I leave, my kids will say something to me or my wife, uh, my son, mostly because my daughter's still pretty young about like, well, you know, where's daddy going or what's he doing? It's like, Oh, he's working. It's like, well, why is he working? You know, why can't he be here? And it's always just reinforced with like, well, buddy, he's working because he loves to work. And this is how he provides the life that we have. Yep. You know, like this is not a bad thing. It's not, oh, daddy has to go to work. Oh, screw work. I got to yeah. pay the bills. It's like, no, I enjoy doing the things that I do because it leaves an, a positive impact on the world, I believe. Um, and it, it, it reinforces the way that I feel about myself. It builds my own confidence. I think that you would have trouble being a happy building a happy and meaningful life if you avoided and skirted work and responsibility at every, you know, turn um, and chose what you wanted in every given moment. I think that, you know, that will lead you into a path of hedonism, which yes. is not likely to produce happiness or no. meaning in your life. So it's like, it's not a, this is what I have to do. It's, I enjoy doing this and I get to do these things. And coincidentally, it also provides a pretty cool life for us. And if you want to do this for yourself, then you're going to have to make sacrifices along the way as well. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. All right. Where can people find you? Um, yeah. Travis makes friends is the podcast. Um, so anywhere you get your podcasts, uh, we, j so we made a mistake, Michael, uh -oh. um, and we just started on YouTube in 2023. Oh, wow. You're up on the times. There so, you go. Yeah, I know. We, we started podcasting almost six years ago and we just started doing YouTube like three months ago. Why? So, Why are you so late? <laughs> that's a good question. That's Why? That's a good question. Because when I first started, I wanted to just purely focus on one thing. It was a podcast. And frankly, I didn't have a lot of money at the time yeah, to be able to I do all you. the video aspects because video is a lot more expensive to yeah. produce, to create everything. Yeah. Um, and audio just was just like, it was easier for me to wrap my mind yep. around. So let's just go. So we worked on audio for so long. And then it just got to the point where uh, we, we were launching a live video show that we were going to do on YouTube. We launched it on March 7th, 2020. A week later, the whole world shut down. Uh, All of our in-person so interviews tried. got canceled. You tried, yeah. Yeah, and so we were like, I don't. I just, I was just like, I don't want to do. I don't want to do Zoom interviews on YouTube. I just yeah. don't feel like doing that. And again, at the time, it was probably a mistake. We probably should have just started and put out Zoom interviews, yeah. and who cares? Um, but we didn't. So now this year, we're focusing on trying to build a little bit of a YouTube uh, there following you go. over there. So, uh, podcast on audio channels doing really well, but we always just ask people for some help on YouTube. So, okay. if you want to check out the show, Travis Makes Friends on YouTube. On YouTube, uh, you can find a conversation with this gentleman That's right. right here. Um, and we'll put well. we'll put the link so, in the podcast uh, description and all that. I Push people that. over there. All right, Travis, my hey, man. Appreciate you, me. man. Yes, yeah, sir. you bet. <laughs>